Hi, it's Leia, founder of Rebel Creative Studio, and you're listening to Rebelology, the podcast, a space where I discuss the journey of living a truly authentic, abundant, and rebellious life. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Rebelology. This is your host, Leia. And I am recording this episode on the evening of August 16th, 2021. It has been a dark and heavy day for humanity. We have watched as the Taliban seize control of Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. In panic and desperation, thousands have flocked to the airport to try to escape the Taliban rule. I've read reports today that female students and professors were denied entry into universities by Taliban militants. Nine women working in a Kandahar bank were ordered to leave their jobs and go home. Female journalists are fleeing in fear of their lives, and women judges are seeking safe places as they feel that they are in extreme danger. Previously, under the Taliban's rule, women were not allowed to work, not allowed to go to school, and in some cases, not allowed to leave their homes without a male guardian present. This is a human rights crisis. This is a feminist crisis. And all around, it is a dark spot in the moments of history. I wanted to make space in Ripoology today to discuss this issue. I've invited a bright and strong young woman named Benazir here to speak with us today. She is an activist, poet, and a student currently residing in Canada. And as part of the Afghan diaspora, I invited her here to share her personal story and insights on what's happening in Afghanistan. So, welcome to Rebelology. I'd love if you could start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your background with us. Um, So hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much, Leah, for having me here today. I'm honored um, to be here to speaking to you. Uh, Thank you for giving me your platform during this very critical time. Um, My name is obviously Benazir. I live in Canada, but I'm originally from Afghanistan. And I identify as a Hazara from Afghanistan. Um, I basically come from an ethnic minority. Uh, that has been prosecuted in Afghanistan for a very long time. Uh, So my focus in all of these years was to advocate for Hazara people. Afghanistan obviously has been in an unstable state for a while. Uh, Even in the past 20 years with the U.S. invasion, uh, things have still been unstable, but generally we had a government in place. And we were making progress and activists like myself, I guess I don't really consider myself an activist, but people like myself who cared about our country were focusing on conversations like racism, um, how to get rid of discrimination, uh, how to have equal opportunity, justice and dignity for all of our people. But right now the entire narrative has changed in such at such a fast rate that the entire community is shocked. And we cannot even focus on all of the things we were advocating for because now we're down to the basics. 
a lot of the people in the diaspora are saying we've gone a hundred years back. Wow. A hundred years back. That's what it feels wow. like within the span of moments. Right. And yesterday when all of this was happening, I was having a hard time even believing it. The Taliban is something I've heard about through my mother, through her stories. Our parents would tell us about the Taliban and it felt like some of the most horrific things I've ever heard in my life. We've read about it in books. We've seen it in literature. And to see them rise again with such ease for a second time in my lifetime mm-hmm. was a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even your community is surprised at how fast this happened. It wasn't necessarily expected. Is that what I'm getting? No. no, no um, we, we were... <sighs> We were so confident in our resistance. And Afghans and Hazaras have been posting, um, generally, it was, it, it was content about the resistance. Uh, we were doing pretty well. Our soldiers were on the ground. People, normal civilians had armed themselves. People were coming out of their homes. Women were cooking to feed these soldiers, to feed the resistance. And we were taking back provinces from the Taliban. Um, And that's why we feel so betrayed because we felt that we had a chance to win. Our people did have the resistance. Our soldiers did have the courage to fight. And our government is what sold us out. And this is not just something I'm saying, but something most of the diaspora Um, agrees with our government sold us out the soldiers were told to not shoot to Mm. not fight provinces were given um, governors were handed in and all of a sudden the president has fled the president has fled the scene and these men are barging into the presidential palace so this almost sounds like almost a coup then yeah okay because yeah. again, as you see, this is not at all the, the narrative that we've been fed um, mm-hmm. here in America. So do you have any insight as to who the players are? Why is that happening? Um, politically, I, I, I think politically things that have led up to this are quite complicated to yes. say. Um, because there's so many nations that play a role. I mean, we could go on for hours talking about how each nation has played a role. Uh, Something that I do want to talk about is how hashtag sanction Pakistan is trending. Okay. It's a very sensitive topic because um, obviously there's a lot of tension on social media over this hashtag. But basically this this hashtag rose out of... um, people's criticism of the Pakistani government and how it has been supporting the Taliban over the past years. And uh, what something that we are very sure of, I think even in America, even if you're not very educated, is that the U.S. did, did um, basically fund the Taliban back in the 90s. Uh, they were just the Mujahideen back then, they funded them. And it was through Pakistan and Pakistan has admitted to that. It's all information out there. This is nothing that's like a controversial theory. So it started as that. And um, Pakistan has been continuing to support the Taliban. There have been reports of them 
getting in through the border in the past months, uh, basically the border from Pakistan to Afghanistan. And that's what people were very angry about. They see this as a proxy war that, that, that Pakistan is leading in Afghanistan. And that's where that hashtag rose from, basically, to, to explain that. But the U.S. is, is also very complicit. And I think, um, obviously, the U.S.'s role is very complicated as well. But I think if I can summarize it, it's a lot of irresponsibility. You come into our nation, you invade it, you lead a 20-year-old, 20-year war to fight the very terrorists that you funded in the beginning. Correct. You destroy our nation. In I cannot even begin to tell you the amount of quote-unquote collateral damage that has happened in the past 20 years. Numbers are the numbers of people who have gotten killed as quote-unquote collateral damage are actually higher than the numbers of people the Taliban have even killed. Just to give you a sense of just how much damage this U.S.-led war has done. Right, and those are numbers that never get reported to us. You know, those are silent. Nope. So for the U.S. to leave like this after 20 years of the damage that it has done, and not only leave, but also set us up for this, they were having peace talks. Did the civilians have a say in any of this? No. Mm-hmm. The government that has been basically representing us clearly is a corrupt government. They have abandoned us. And I think that that we, we just feel betrayed from all sides. Um, for uh, Just to give you a sense of how this was set up, 5,000 Taliban were released as part of the peace process. Hmm. What do you think that means for Afghanistan? You know, these are, these are men who, who killed people, who have done so much damage, and they were released out of prisons back into society. Uh, so yeah, and for the, and they also left in the middle of the night. So I think the country was very ill-prepared for, for what was to come. You know, one day we get an announcement of um, Biden saying they're going to withdraw all the troops by September. Uh, and then one day, one night the troops are basically gone. They've abandoned the base. And now the country is dealing with the Taliban who now have 40% of the territories and I, I just think that we were not prepared um, and the U.S. acted very irresponsibly. Right. So it, in other words, it should have been a slower transition process instead of a, an overnight peace out kind of thing. Um, that yeah. would have been the more responsible approach. Yes. And the U.S., I think one of the, one of the problems that we have with the, with the narratives that are out there right now is the U.S. is acting like it, it was our savior um, and that it left and the Afghan, the savage Afghan people were unable to defend themselves. And the leading narrative is that we, we failed to resist. And that is absolutely not true. My people were set up for this. The, U, the US does not get to destroy our country for 20 years, pack up and leave, also with benefits. They benefited from this war as well. And we cannot forget that. And then pretend that they were the saviors the whole time. Yeah, I think that was one of the major takeaway points um, that even stumped me, to be honest with you at first from Biden's speech today when he said, you know, we can give them 
training. We can give them military salaries. We can give them an air force, but what we couldn't give them was the will to fight. No, my my people a hundred percent had the will to fight. And it's, it's people in the diaspora who see this most because these are our family members. We have to be involved. We have to see this live. We have to contact those family members. Yeah. So we have a perspective that you guys don't get in the news. And we, we were resisting with everything we had. Exactly. We that's the coverage that we don't get. And that's why I'm so thankful that you can share that with us. Um, do you currently have any family members that are currently there or family of family? How is that uh, communication process going now within the diaspora? I think everyone, um, almost everyone has family. Everyone I've spoken to has family. Uh, and for myself especially, I'd like to note that I am a Hazara, meaning I do come from a prosecuted um, ethnic group in Afghanistan. You might and, go into that a little bit more for us because even for me personally, I'm not aware mm-hmm. exactly what that means. Yes, yes. So there's a lot of history behind it, obviously. It's very complicated. Um, but speaking about the Taliban, um, basically they have in, uh, in part of their agenda to ethnically cleanse Hazars. That We've seen that in the past. The Mazar Sharif genocide was one of the massacres that took place in the 90s. Uh, when the Taliban were first ruling Afghanistan. And they would basically go door to door looking for Hazaras. And they massacred about 10,000 mass graves were built uh, within the course of six days. That, that is something that is hard for me to sink in because right now it's happening again. The Taliban are in rule again. And Hazaras are people who are at the top of the vulnerable list like when when we talk about people who are vulnerable Hazaras are pretty up there with women with Sikhs with Hindus with other religious minorities right so and, is um, their agenda to reapproach this are you are they are you fearing that the genocide will continue now that they're back yeah, in we we Hazaras especially are mentally preparing for another mass genocide yes oh my gosh. and one of the reasons for this is even when the government was in control in the past few months, the Taliban have been attacking Hazars. We, they've been attacking schools. They've been attacking hospitals. These attacks have been taking place in the past months with no remorse. And that was when there was government control. Now they have control of the whole nation. Their propaganda is that they are reformed and that they, they don't plan on doing any of this stuff, obviously. But that's just to win international support. But we know, we know what the Taliban has done before and we fear that it will happen again. And that's really important for me to mention because not a lot of people know. uh, And not a lot of people acknowledge that there's intersectionality to people's identities in Afghanistan. And while everyone is at risk, some people are, are at more risk than others. Absolutely. That's a story I have never heard before. That was never told to me. And it, it could possibly be, you know, my lack of, of research for myself. Um, but thanks for sharing that. Um, so besides everyone, I mean, are people able to get out? I know they're fleeing there, um, um, trying to get to the airport. Is there a way out? I would say majority of my family is actually in Afghanistan. And I currently have, um, from my mother's side alone, about 
five uncles with their families, each with their wives and children and um, three aunts and multiple aunts from my dad's side. So all of them are there with their families. And one of the most concerning things is uh, two of my uncles were part of the police force. Um, much of my family was politically involved and they've been abandoned. Um, there's no way to get out and the Taliban are reportedly going door to door looking for people who helped with the government, looking for journalists, looking for humanitarian workers. So my, when my mother calls my uncles, um, they, they basically say that they can't even sleep at night. They are just waiting and terrified. And every time there's a noise at the door, they don't know if it's the Taliban and if they are going to die in that moment. And that is a, a fear that I can't even imagine. I can't even fathom. No, it's like the worst movies and shows I've ever seen in my life. I mean, not to make a direct comparison, but I keep thinking of this, of The Handmaid's Tale. So in our perspective here, this kind of happened today. How, but when you're telling me, how long has this been, been happening? Has it been weeks, a month, two months now? Again, all of this happened so fast mm-hmm. that um, I think for my my uncle pretty much escaped to Kabul, which is the the capital city of Afghanistan, where it was it was secure, um, hoping that they would be safe there. They left behind everything to move there, um, and now it's captured as well. And again, this was so fast that I think nobody was expecting this. So if you look at the airports right now there is chaos. Yeah. People are just, the, the lines for visas and visas right now are like very, 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 very expensive. I was reading that just a visa to Uzbekistan, which is a neighboring country, is about $10,000. Um, <laughs> USD? Wow. Who is going to be able to afford that? These are regular people. Especially being, um, I mean... And for whole families at one time. Exactly. So people are just panicked and the scenes are at the airport are very concerning because people are just, today, people were so desperate that they were climbing the airplanes, the jets that were leaving and U.S. personnel were shooting at these people mm-hmm. um, to try to control the situation because they're, they're clogging up the airports to try to evacuate their own people. And I'm not sure if you saw the footage, but two people actually tied themselves to the wheels of one of the jets that were leaving and they fell off midair. I saw that. That was one of the, I mean, that's, I think, footage that we're seeing today of this is something that's going to stick in all of our minds for the rest of our lives. If that does not illustrate the desperation of my people for you right now, I I don't know what else what I'm trying to to humbly understand is where all right the Taliban has obviously for a very long time been a very mm-hmm. violent organization. How do they still have so much support and and so many people a part of this organization? And how have they been able to survive even through these two decades of um, the USA occupying Afghanistan? That's what I can't really piece together. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately I'm I'm not an expert. Um, it's a very difficult question. 
truly. Um, Do you know people that are still supporters? Are there are there supporters speaking out? Well, here's here's one of the most terrifying things for me right now. As we are trying to raise awareness about what's happening in Afghanistan, um, trying to find a chance to even save our own families. Right. There are people out there who are Taliban sympathizers um, posting uh, propaganda that the Taliban are reformed people, that they are going to bring peace for Afghanistan, that like that it's good that the U.S. has left. And they, they're almost celebrating this victory. And it, it, it baffles me, but I, I forget that we live in a world where there are Taliban supporters, and you're right. And obviously, like visiting our earlier question, we have to acknowledge that a lot of nations played a role into this. This is a terrorist group that was funded by multiple nations. Um, Pakistan obviously playing one of the largest roles. And uh, according to video footage that is out there, this is not just my opinion, but video footage that is out there, there are reportedly um, schools, um, extremist schools just across the border in Pakistan that will take in young Afghan boys, brainwash them, uh, they grow up to become these extremists, and then they're sent in through the border into the nation. And I think the most terrifying part is that they have weaponized religion. So they kind of gain legitimacy through this conceited, extremist, weaponized form of religion. Um, that's, that's where a lot of their support comes from, I would say. Uh, and there, I'm not going to deny this. There are people in Afghanistan who do support the Taliban. Not maybe not most people, but there are people who support the Taliban and have respect for them, because we can't just simplify Afghanistan into what everybody has the same opinion. There, there, there are people as well. They're different. Uh, it's a multi-ethnic uh, country. Everyone has different backgrounds. People have different opinions. Um, and there definitely is support for them in Afghanistan. But what, what we have a problem with is the propaganda spreading that Afghans want this. Af Afghanistan does not want to be erased off of the face of the earth and ruled under a terror group. And you said part of the propaganda is that they've been reformed or they are reformed? Is yeah. that part of the misinformation that's happening? Yeah, it's part of their um, propaganda campaign to gain international support, uh, that they are reformed. And um, their claims are, for example, that they are going to allow women to seek education, which is something they didn't allow in the 90s. Um, but when we go on the ground, the reality is that they are not doing that. So their actions do not match their words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I I, I saw um, one journalist reporting that they say, as you say, they're going to allow women to be educated now, but when they look into it, it's only religion-based education that they will be taught. And exactly. so, you know, it feels to me like this is just a way to buy time with the world. It's a, in a play way. on words. Yeah, it's a play on, play on words. So how is the diaspora feeling about the U.S.? Do they feel like we should come back strong, um, send more troops, or like what would be the responsible thing for? Well, America? I don't think um, 
I, I obviously can't speak on all of the diaspora. Good point. Um, but for the community that I come from, the people that surround me, I would say that, no, we were never happy with 20 years of invasion. What has it brought us? Right. <laughs> we, we just think that U.S. acted irresponsibly and that this was orchestrated and, and the U.S. knew exactly what it was doing and it set up Afghanistan to, to, to come to this point. Um, we, right now, our demand to the international community is refugee intake. That is the top priority of activists right now. It's, it's too late to educate people on the situation right now. We've been trying for so long to grasp the attention of the world because the Taliban and other terror groups were, you know, attacks were happening in Afghanistan again, even before the Taliban fell. Um, while peace deals were being written, the Taliban were killing journalists across Afghanistan. They were not sticking to their promises. Hmm. And for like the international community has no reason to trust these terrorists. They've never proven that they are trustworthy. Um, so right now it's, it's too late for anything really. I just think that countries need to open up their borders, need to immediately take in refugees, immediately focus on especially people who are vulnerable. And that includes ethnic, um, sorry, minoritized people, such as, um, again, the Hazaras, Sikhs, Hindus, non-Muslims. Um, it includes women. It includes journalists, people who have worked in the police force and the military. Um, people who have been politically involved, artists, so many people are at risk. Mm -hmm. And for someone who is related to one of those people who are at risk right now, I'm terrified and we are, time is ticking. We can't wait around. People need to push their governments to open up the borders to take in refugees as fast as possible. Okay, so that's the the strongest course of action that action right now. You know, yeah. I know a lot of us are feeling helpless because we yeah. feel so far away. We feel like this is such a huge issue, and a lot of there's a lot of um, things to be considered and and how we feel. And I think you know a lot of people have said, why aren't um, you know, certain politicians or celebrities or whoever speaking out today, I think a lot of us are having to sit with it and decipher through all of this misinformation and, and really, you know, I, I hope that it's because we're trying to listen right now and trying to move forward in a positive way. And I appreciate you saying that the best thing we can do is pressure our, our governments to increase the refugee intake increased funding for those programs. And I would love to know if there's an organization, as you say, these visas are unfortunately expensive and nearly unaffordable for a lot of people right now. Do you, have you heard of any organization that's trying to help people um, sponsor them for, for that process right now? Um, yeah, there's a lot of organizations. I don't know them off the top of my head, but I can definitely um, share them to you. One of the tricky parts right now is that the banks are completely shut down oh. and controlled by the Taliban uh, <gasps> because my mother has been trying to send money to my aunt and it's pending because, again, like the country is under pretty much lockdown um, under the regime right now. And 
these people are collecting money and uh, one of the activists I've spoken to said that they're holding it in a, in like a very trusted fund uh, uh-huh. until until things are clear and until we do have a way to send it over. Uh-huh. But, that, but that shouldn't stop people from donating, obviously. Um, but I think it mainly, I think people need to realize the power they do hold to make a difference. I know activists who are staying up day and night, um, drafting up letters to send to representatives. Um, they are co- contacting lawyers. There's lawyers who are volunteering their time to try to help with visa applications um, for the people on the ground. There's People are doing a lot. And I think um, we need to realize that right now, Afghanistan needs us more than ever. Right. These people are trapped. They need us more than ever to push our countries to open the borders in whatever way we can. We need to campaign for the urgency, especially again for most the most vulnerable people. And as well, there's there's obviously going to be um, your governments are going to talk to the Taliban right now. Already we see governments preparing to have you know, like China for example is preparing to have friendly relations with the Taliban. So even in those countries, in your countries, you need to. Um, tell your representatives to prioritize again the, the human rights of these people, the most vulnerable people in Afghanistan. Um, and when it comes to advocacy on social media, it's also extremely important, more than ever right now, because people's freedom of speech is at a gunpoint at this right. point. They, there will be so much propaganda. There already is so, so much propaganda and we cannot allow their propaganda to dominate international platforms. They will try to appeal to the international community that they are reformed, but we need people to see the truth, to to continue spreading the truth, to continue raising awareness, um, because the last thing we need right now is the false, the most false narrative out there for the for these terrorists. Right, that's um, the most dangerous thing, and a key key word that you've used that I wanted to hound in on is urgency. Um, This is happening second by second, and we cannot relieve these people any quicker. And so I will definitely do my research to provide everyone with organizations and politicians and, and representatives in their area that they need to start contacting, writing to, um, through social media, through email, letter, whatever we can do with a sense of urgency. The U.S. needs to remember that their government played a big role in creating this disaster. Yes. So I think U.S. citizens especially, there's a sense of obligation for you guys to do all that you can to to at least provide the least that you can to help these people now after everything that, that the U.S. has done to the country. I would ask everyone listening to you know, remove yourself from the politics behind this, remove yourself from all of these things and, and retire yourself at a place of empathy. You know, these are humans, these are women, these are children going through this. And at the end of the day, we are all one human race. So let's not let, you know, lose sight of what's important because of all of these other <laughs> factors swirling around. Because, you know, me being American, I know that's what's in the media and that's what's being talked about, unfortunately. So as you say, the best we can do is 
you know, be an ally in any way you tell us to do. And that's why I think this is important for you to say this. Yes. And to the people listening, I, I want to remind you that I'm no expert. Um, there will probably be a lot of people out there, even Afghans, who, who disagree with some of the things that I've said. Maybe I've gotten some of the details wrong, but at the end of the day, if you're going to take anything from what I'm saying is you have an obligation to, to do everything that you can right now. I am sitting here not knowing if my uncle will be alive within the next hour even. Mm -hmm. And my mother is terrified. We, this, the sense of helplessness that we feel right now, I can't even begin to explain. Our entire hope is for the international community to pick it up and do their best um, and, and help the people of Afghanistan right now mm -hmm. in whatever way that you can. Um, I mentally prepared myself for the worst already. Again, I've prepared myself for an ethnic cleansing. I've prepared myself to mourn the death of my uncles. Um, it's really, really dire, and people really underestimate how bad this is. Um, the world has allowed a terror group to take over a nation. Mm. There's a country in the middle of Asia right now ruled by terrorists. Let that sink in. We've been advocating for so long, and nobody has paid attention, but this is sort of like our last call out, our last call for help. Um, don't forget that you have the power, you do have the privilege to do so much. Um, yeah. I have the privilege to do so much. I'm sitting comfortably in my home in Canada. So don't forget that and, and use it, use it to do good. Yes, use our privilege because it is an obligation. Yeah. And that's what I would like to leave our listeners with. And again, you know, I have so much respect for you. I, you know, you're young, you're a poet, you're a student, you're, you're beautiful. And I just thank you for sharing your platform and this space with me and just taking the time tonight to come on here and educate us. Thank you for having me once again. I'm so overwhelmed <laughs> to be here. I feel like I don't deserve to be here, honestly, but I'm, I'm glad that you've given me this platform to speak up and I hope my voice reaches um, people and makes a difference no matter how small. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and being part of Rebelology. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you get alerts on our new episodes. And for more information, head over to rebelologypodcast.com.